Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. What does innovation sound like? It sounds like the luxury of being in the moment with your customer, client, or patient. It sounds like having the right information right when you need it. It sounds like being at your best for your customers and your business. Thanks to Highland's intelligent content solutions that improve digital processes, innovators everywhere are able to do their thing better, whatever that thing is. Now, who doesn't like the sound of that? Highland. For innovators everywhere, visit highland.com. Welcome. This is Wacky Wednesday here on the Arrowhead Attic Channel. I'm Adam Best here with the golden voice of Sterling Holmes and the amazing producer, Richard Sterling. How's it going, man? I'm good, man. Things are great. Um, It's a new year, which is interesting because I just got used to writing 2015 on all my papers, but uh, I guess we'll have to try again next year. 2024 sounds like some post-apocalyptic year. I mean, it's very, we're very far into the future now. Why do you think the Chiefs offense has struggled? It's because it's 2024. We're, we are not supposed to go this far. The simulation is cracking. Well, we've got a great show for you guys today. We'll chat with one of the brightest minds in football media and then hand out some hardware. First ever, we're calling it the Wackies for our regular season award, of course. Uh, but first, a bit of business. All right, everyone, we are back. FanDuel Sportsbook is with us. Hey, Chiefs fans, if you've not downloaded FanDuel Sportsbook yet, you will definitely want to take advantage of this limited time offer. After signing up, new users must deposit $10 and place a first wager of $5 on any active line. Even if your first bet loses, you will still receive $150 in bonus bets. This promo will be automatically added to your account when you sign up through our link, bit.ly forward slash arrow 150 using our link not only gets you this fantastic bonus but also directly supports the arrowhead addict team so if you've not signed up for the fan duel make sure you do so by scanning the qr code on screen or clicking the link in the description below the link is bit.ly forward slash arrow 150 this offer is available only to new customers with 21 plus and physically present in legal gambling states please remember to always gamble responsibly check the episode descriptions for our sign-up link and full terms of the offer. It's time for our guest, Aaron Schatz, the creator of DVOA and Chiefs Analytics Officer of the FTN Network. Welcome, Aaron. Hey, good to be here, guys. We uh, wanted to have you on here for a while. Glad we could make it happen. We have six questions for you, so uh, let's crack into that six-pack. First off, tell us a little bit about your background and explain DVOA for, uh, for our members and, and of the audience who aren't familiar with the concept. Well, my background is weird. Uh, you know, folks may know I've been doing analytics in football for 20 years now. Uh, I launched my old site, Football Outsiders, in 2003. But before that, I was actually a radio disc jockey 
And then I wrote a column called the Lycos 50 for the old internet search engine Lycos about what people searched for on the internet. It was sort of part media, part marketing research. And then I started Football Outsiders. Yeah, in 2003, started doing football analytics. So DVOA, what's the basic idea? The basic idea is to measure every play and the success on that play based on the down and distance and then compare it to a league average baseline that is adjusted for situation and opponent. And so that gives you a basic idea of how efficient teams are. Now, every year is averaged to zero. And that gives you a better way to compare how teams are from year to year because, of course, there's like way more offense in the game now than there was 20 years ago or 30 years ago. So it corrects for that. And you can break it down because it's done by play by play. You can break it down, you know, and look at just certain downs or just running plays or just certain players or just red zone or, you know, any other way you want to break it down. Well, thank you, by the way, Aaron, for coming on, because DVOA is one of my absolute favorite metrics I use. I do Sports Talk Radio here in Kansas City as well. So I use your metrics all the time. So, Aaron, thank you for making me sound smart. See, I'm not smart enough to come up with my own my own numbers and and metrics. I can't do that. So that's what you're here for, Aaron. I do want to say the Chiefs defense is ranked fifth in pass DVOA. They're great. They're great against the pass. But against the run, they're 29th. Uh, the largest discrepancy in the league. How big of an issue is this for Kansas City's defense going forward? Well, I think it sort of depends on the offensive um, on the offensive script, right? Like the, the fact is, a lot of more analytically friendly teams have been uh, weaker against the run than the pass because the idea is, first of all, you're trying to prevent explosive plays which primarily come through the pass and the second is you know the pass in general is more efficient than the run so the hope is that your offense takes the lead and then it doesn't matter that you aren't that good against the run because the other team is stuck passing the ball and here you are stopping the pass now the problem with that of course is that the chiefs offense has not kept up its part of the bargain over the last few weeks and therefore the run defense has been a little bit more of a problem because it's not like the Chiefs are taking, you know, 14 to nothing leads and then the other team is stuck passing the ball. But uh, the fact is that in the NFL, the modern NFL, if you had to choose which do we want to be good against, the pass or the run, you choose the pass. Totally agree. Yeah, they're, they're a bit of a run funnel defense and I think it works better when the offense is building leads, right? But they haven't been able to do that this year. Uh, one of the reasons this pass defense is so good is that the Chiefs excel at defending wide receiver ones, limiting them to 49.8 yards per game. Legere Sneed, he hasn't even allowed a touchdown. Is this level of corner play sustainable? Yeah, it's an interesting question. I think the answer is n- no, but it's probably still going to be pretty good for the next few games. But then in particular from year to year, no. Like cornerback play, no matter how you measure it, is very, very inconsistent. It may be the most inconsistent position in football. So uh, whether you use uh, charting stats or something like pro football focus grades or just anecdotes, Right. There's plenty of anecdotes of cornerbacks who had fat, fabulous years. And then the next year came and they weren't that good. And then the following year came and they were really good again. And they just bounce all around the place. So um, 
you know, I I don't know whether Snead being so good this year is a marker that he's going to be so good against next year. But but um, I think that you know the way that they have the defense structured and the way he's playing, it's probably more likely that he can continue to be good this year for the rest of this year. So I would feel good about how they're playing against number one wide receivers as we get into the playoffs. Yeah, I always consider cornerbacks like relievers in baseball, right? Where some guys are dominant one year and they struggle the next. In regards to the Chiefs in general, they found a way. So a lot of unheralded guys, right? Legereus Sneed, fourth rounder, Traverius Ward the year before. um, You know, he was an undrafted guy. Is this something where this is a lot of Steve Spagnuolo where he's able to find and identify a certain trait that fits in his scheme? I will say Traverius Ward's had a very nice season since he left Kansas City in San Francisco. But what is it with the Chiefs in general, especially Spags and the secondary members, Dave Merritt, being able to identify certain traits that allow them to succeed? I don't know the answer to that question, but they do. They have a good record of picking up lower round Defensive backs, although like McDuffie was a top guy, right? So um, it's not just lower round defensive backs. Uh, I don't know per se. I mean, I think you'd have to be more of a film guy to say, okay, this is the thing that Spagnuolo is recognizing. I think that's more of a probably a film question than an analytics question. Well, then in, in regards to the variability year over year, are you more the camp of you would not or you would pay a a corner who's having a great year, right? Like Legereus Sneed, he's obviously coming up for contracts. Oh, where, yeah. where do you lie in this regard here? <laughs> it's a tough question. I think you would want to make sure that you had a corner that over a three-year period maybe was really good every year. And it's it's tough because – so here is the balance. Cornerback play is very important, but it's also very inconsistent, right? It's more important than safety play or linebacker play, but it's also less predictable than safety play. I mean, the answer is pay your edge rushers because your edge rushers are super important and much more predictable than your cornerbacks. But, no, whether to pay cornerbacks or not is a difficult – it's a difficult question. No, no that's that's true. Uh, Patrick Mahomes is typically among the league leaders in DYAR, which is defensive adjusted yards above replacement on scrambles. How much value does this tactical scrambling add to the KC offense? I mean, we we know it's not Lamar Jackson. We know he's not going to try and take on guys typically like Josh Allen, but we always laugh and say he's just this much quicker than the guy who's chasing him. How valuable is Mahomes scrambling? First of all, he kind of is Lamar Jackson as a scrambler because what Lamar, what gives Lamar a lot of his value is not scrambling. It's designed runs, mm. right? Um, Mahomes is very good scrambler. And scrambles are just like a very high efficiency play because you're taking a sack and turning it in from a negative into a positive. So not only are scrambles by their nature pretty efficient, but they replace negative plays because they would have been sacks if you didn't scramble for the positive yardage. So Mahomes' ability to scramble is worth a lot uh, to the Chiefs. And I'll add, by the way, for the Chiefs historical fans, another player who people do not realize was very efficient as a scrambler was Trent Green. <laughs> We love Trent Green on the show. We've had him on the show before. Uh, I wish we would have let him know that because I, I think he always gets put into the pocket passer category. You know, he was, he, I mean, he was more, the, but like if he took off, 
he was going to get a first down. Like he, he, his career was not, did not have a lot of three yard scrambles on third and nine. Like if he scrambled, he was getting the first down. So as a scrambler, he was very efficient. So how much of scrambling in, according to you, is uh, athleticism versus processing versus feel in the pocket, those type of intangibles? Oh, I don't know. I don't know how I would divvy it up. Um, again, there, that's, I think, more of a film-watching question as far as, like, how you would divvy up the importance. Like, obviously, it matters. The tactical, like, you have to recognize when you're going to run for it and not get taken down one yard past the line of scrimmage. Or worse run for it and get taken down behind the line of scrimmage. And then you should have just thrown the ball away. Um, so, I mean, there's, you know, speed is part of it, but like you said, Mahomes doesn't have great speed. He just seems to be like slightly faster than every defender who goes after him. And he typically leads the league in pressure to sack percentage. Yes. So I feel like it's the combo of not taking sacks and being an effective scrambler that is such a net positive for the Chiefs. The, the more the more we do analytics, the more we learn that sacks are really related to the quarterback. Like, yes, the offensive line does play some role in sacks, but they are very heavily related to the quarterback. And uh, sack rate is something that tends to uh, correlate well when a player comes from college to the NFL or switches teams in the NFL. And you wouldn't think it was like that because historically we always thought of that as more of an offensive line stat, but it's really heavily a quarterback stat. So Chiefs fans listening right now, you have something you can use against Joe Burrow and the Bengals. There you go. <laughs> oh, yeah. Burrow takes too many sacks. There's no question. It's not just the off. I mean, their offensive line is not good, but it's not just the offensive line. Burrow just does take too many sacks. So this is something our audience isn't going to like, but I think it's important to hear an objective uh, take on our Super Bowl chances your site calculates that the Chiefs only have a 2.4% chance of winning the Super Bowl. What has caused them to go from front runner to afterthought? There's two things. The first is the offensive slowdown. So they rank 17th in offensive DVOA since week 10. Right? Like there's no question that the offense is having problems. I, I don't need to sit here and tell you what they all are. Y'all know what they are. And the offense has been, for the season, has been better than I think people realize. But for the last few weeks, it's been very mediocre. And then the other thing is San Francisco and Baltimore are just so good this year. Now, I realize my numbers have San Francisco and Baltimore even further ahead of the rest of the league than the market does, right? So I, my numbers are super in love with San Francisco and Baltimore. But even the market you know, has San Francisco and Baltimore easily as the top two teams this year. They're historically good. By DVOA, the Baltimore Ravens are the third best team since 1981, and the 49ers are the sixth best team. It's still a better than 50-50 shot that one of those teams loses before we make it to the Super Bowl. But wow, the chances that they both get to the Super Bowl are pretty high and so that makes everybody else lower like i think dallas is our number three team in super bowl odds and they're at like five percent so part of what's going on with the chiefs is just our numbers just love the ravens and the 49ers so much 
Yeah, and I'm with you in regards to the Ravens. I'm shocked it's been that good, but I said earlier on in the season, there were a lot of um, wonky numbers, I thought, earlier on that made them not look quite as good as as what we were going to see as the season progressed on and on and on. And now we're seeing them run at at full strength. Now, for me, I thought one of the more underrated offseason moves was Todd Munkin as the offensive coordinator, right? Opening the the entire offense up, not quite as much of a horizontal offense, but more of a vertical offense with Lamar Jackson. And we're seeing that running full power right now. Why does DVOA in general love the Ravens so much? Is it because they're so highly ranked defensively in all facets, offensive in all facets, everything, um, everything just... Here's the thing. They have played good teams and they have destroyed them. They've played the fifth hardest schedule in the league this year. The fifth hardest schedule, and they're 13 and three. Like they destroyed Detroit. They destroyed Seattle. They destroyed Miami. They destroyed San Francisco, and they destroyed Cleveland in the first of the two games that they played against Cleveland. Like, yeah, they had that game with Pittsburgh where the receivers dropped all the passes. And yeah, they had the game with Cleveland where they lost by two points, but. Like most of their games, they have big wins and not they're not destroying the Carolina Panthers. Like they have big wins over good teams. And historically, that is like the best indicator of a great team. You mentioned drops. How much do those affect offensive DVOA? Uh, they're not accounted for. I count for all incomplete passes the same. I, I don't okay. have data on drops. The data I get on drops, I don't get right away. And also, of course, I don't have it for history, right? I can't go back to 1981 with drops. So there's no accounting for drops. Drops are a little overrated, right? Like they're very inconsistent from year to year. Like they suck. I mean, <laughs> there's no point <laughs> you don't want your receivers dropping passes. But they're not that predictive. And uh, a, a lot of times they're not that much different from other incomplete passes. I agree with you that they're, that they're overrated with most fans, that they're not as sticky as people think. But – the Chiefs have had some really bad luck there, and it's kind of been a plague uh, of drops across their entire Yeah, but like the Ravens are a good example of a team that early in the season, they had a lot of drops. And then late in the season, they haven't had hardly any. It's just random variation. I mean, I mean certainly certain players drop more passes than other players. I mean, you don't need me to give you a speech about Kadarius Tony this year, but <laughs> uh, I do think drops are a little overrated as a, as a stat. Yeah, maybe not Tony, but we'll we'll still listen to one more or less a rant on MVS. I think that just it's it's therapeutic to get that one off of your chest. But out of all the potential wild card opponents the Chiefs could face, which is the best and which is the worst overall matchup for KC? Okay, the the worst matchup, I think, even though you beat them and they have uh, the injuries right now, is Miami because I I feel like. Uh, if the Chiefs' weakness is run defense, then Miami is there to dis- to destroy that, right? If if you don't take an early lead on them, Miami is going to just run on you, and they're going to do all their misdirection stuff and all the speed. And um, and I don't think that the linebackers are great pass defenders for the Chiefs, although Bolton Bolton's good, and and uh, and Miami does a lot of those passes in the middle of the field. So. I mean, there's no question Miami or Buffalo is the hardest wildcard opponent, but I feel like Miami matches up a little bit better, even though Buffalo beat you and Miami didn't. Uh, The easiest one is Indianapolis. Indianapolis is the lowest rated by DVOA of the possible wildcard team. 
And in particular, we were talking about Legereus Sneed shutting down number one wide receivers. The Colts are heavily dependent on one wide receiver, which is Michael Pittman. And they're just so meh in every way. <laughs> the Colts are just so – they're so 18th. They're just like 18th in everything. We have how, a, the, they, how the heck have they got here? I, I am so shocked that Gardner Minshew leading this Colts team that was atrocious last year is all of a sudden most likely making the playoffs. It, it, well, no, because Houston, I mean, Houston has to be favored over them this week. But uh, but if you ask, who do you want to play in the first round, you want to play the, the Colts. Chiefs fans will push back a little bit there because – uh, there's kind of a Colts playoff curse for the Chiefs that Mahomes oh, fi- fi- mm. finally broke. But you know, I don't know. Is it a Gardner Minshew playoff curse? <laughs> Aaron, I, I'm guessing. I'm guessing DVOA doesn't take take into account curses here because that's where. No, she's listen. Hey, I did a Dallas. I did a Dallas show earlier today, and they're obsessed with the San Francisco 49ers, not because the 49ers are so good, but because like the last three years, San Francisco has kicked Dallas out of the playoffs. So I understand. I understand how that is when you have a certain team that beats you. You know, Patriots fan, right? And back in the um, back in the two thousands, we had that uh, rock paper scissors situation, where it was like the Colts could not beat the Patriots, the Patriots could not beat the Broncos, and the Broncos could not beat the Colts. It was, you know, just the way that those teams matched up. And we couldn't beat anybody back then. So, yeah. Well, those were those those teams that. Um, are so high historically in offensive DVOA, uh, but their defenses were horrendous. Uh, if you look at the best DVOA teams to ever miss the playoffs, a couple of those early 2000s Chiefs teams show up on that list because those offenses were so good. Again, <laughs> with the Trent Green. Again, with the Trent Green. Yeah, we're not going to you know, get on to you for some Trent Green love. Well, thanks for joining us, Aaron. This has been very insightful. Uh We'll have to uh, keep tabs on you and maybe have you back. Yeah, people should uh, follow me on the socials. I put out a lot of good stats, uh, comments during games. Uh, Ace Shots NFL, A-S-C-H-A-T-Z NFL, and uh, ftnfantasy.com slash DVOA is now where you find all the DVOA numbers and all of my content and all of my writing. So that's where you want to go to find me now, ftnfantasy.com slash DVOA. I'm a subscriber, cannot do my show sheet without checking your site. So thank you for that service and uh, happy new year. Hey, happy new year to you guys too. Yeah, that's awesome, man. Aaron's great, great interview. Great talking with him. Again, I, I, I always have DVOA. If you guys right now in the chat who listen to this show, if you don't check out any of his work, you're doing yourself a disservice. Um, DVOA to me is one of the more interesting and impactful statistics you can actually use analytical statistics you can use because it takes a lot of um game management into account right it's all weighted so to me that 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 you take way more value from that than just saying a yards per game or yards per attempt or yards per completion some of the more basic ones yeah sure those might be important but what is the game situation this is all included in that's all weighted DVOA phenomenal. Again, it's why we love having him on because I am not smart enough. Believe it or not, this guy had to take math two times in college, two times. Who would have thought I would have failed once? I'm, I'm an English guy, not a, not a math guy. So same boat. The other thing I like about DVOA is that it gets better as the season goes along. I think it gets 
more uh, effective, more predictive, the more information it has. Uh, and at this point of, of the season with him kind of saying the, the scales are tipped so heavily towards Baltimore and the AFC, that's a little frightening yeah. because they just look like a complete juggernaut. Let's what? do the next segment, dude. The next one you came up with looks really fun, and I'm very excited for it. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. So the regular season, basically over. Patrick Mahomes isn't playing this week. So the Chiefs are essentially saying, eh, it doesn't matter. We're locked into the three seed. Also, Oscar season is upon us. I love the Oscars. I know probably a lot of our listeners and viewers do too. So doing an award show felt appropriate. We'll try to keep it positive with the playoffs ahead. You know, it's 2024 is a new birth for all of us. The playoffs are a new birth for the Chiefs. So with that said, let's get started. Our first award is the Joe Delaney Award, and that is Offensive Rookie of the Year. And the wacky goes to Rushi Rice. So it's tough. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What I mean, maybe Wanya Morris, you know. Uh, first among all players in yards after the catch. That's not just that's not just receivers. That's running backs. That's tight ends. That is everybody. And then he's eleventh among wide receivers in yards per route run. Just and and now he's first in rookie receiving yards under head coach Andy Reid in the history of Andy Reid's head coaching tenures. He's number one, not Macklin. Not Deshaun Jackson, not Tyreek Hill. Man, it, it his trajectory this season is incredible. He went from, all right, he's probably wide receiver five who may get a couple snaps each game to he is a Chiefs best wide receiver and it ain't close. Rasheed Rice, imagine if he was not, imagine Rasheed Rice was just an average rookie in, a, in an Andy Reid system. The Chiefs. Yeah. Offense would be beyond atrocious. I mean, Rasheed Rice should get some OPOY consideration legitimately in the NFL. He has been that good and that impactful for this team. The only two guys I'd have ahead of him league-wide as far as offensive rookies, probably uh, C.J. Stroud because yeah. of the importance of quarterback and then Puka Nakua. Such a just sure. record season uh, setting season. But Aaron said that the Chiefs are 17th uh, an offensive DVOA since week 10. And that period of time kind of coincides with the Rasheed Rice breakout. Imagine how bad this offense would be without him right yeah. now. Uh, he, it, it's not a stretch to say he literally has saved the season. Now, this next one was a little harder to figure out. It is the Dale Carter Award for Defensive Rookie of the Year. He actually won league-wide Defensive Rookie of the Year back in the day. And the wacky goes to Jamari Connor. Oh, I, I need to let you do the drum roll. Yeah. First, first, first time. Oh, you're not going to do it. I'm just going to keep doing that. We'll, we'll do it next time. We'll get it, you know. Uh, second lowest passer rating when targeted on defense. Only LeJerry Sneed has been better. So limited sample size, but I've been super impressed with how he stepped up and help the Chiefs survive the Brian Cook injury. Yeah, I mean, Jamari Connor's really the only one you can make a case for. He's not B.J. Thompson. Keandre Coburn's no longer here, obviously. Um, and then FAU has not hardly played at all as 
obviously BJ Thompson, the same boat, but Jamari Connor is, has been good. Like he's been solid when he plays, he, he has been a, a nice piece, rotational piece. And as you mentioned with Brian cook going down, he stepped up. I, I, I have, I have liked what I have seen so far from Jamari Connor. I was a little concerned about his lack of speed, right? You look at a, well, I think it was a four, seven was what he ran or a four, six, not a fast dude. Um, I, I was concerned about, is he going to get beat over the top? Does he have the ability to react? And, and if he gets a step off, can he, can he make up, make up the, uh, the lack of speed? Well, he has so far, we've not seen him do any Tyron Matthew, Dan Sorensen's look around what's going on. He's been very, very smart. He's been astute. He's been in the right spot. Jamari Connor is deserving of this award, even if, even if no one else has really stepped up as a rookie defensively. He's the kind of player that makes me want the GPS tracking that these teams have to be publicly available because he doesn't look noticeably slow to me on the field. I don't know if he does to you, but I haven't been like, oh my God, he's he's toast out there. Mm-mm. You mentioned Tyron Matthew, and our next award is the Honey Badger Award for Free Agent Pickup of the Year. Drum. <laughs> The wacky goes to Drew Tranquil. So Tranquil, uh, just a bargain basement signing by Brett Beach. He has five sacks as a blitzer. And in my opinion, he's the team's best coverage linebacker. I think Sterling would probably agree with that. Correct. Yeah, he's been great. He's, He's what he was last year. Last year was not an outlier. He is a guy who is very versatile. He can be sent on a blitz and actually get the quarterback. He's put on a little bit of weight, and so he's actually been a little better this year against the run than he was last year. Um, You mentioned pass coverage. That ability is still there. Yeah, it's been him. He has been phenomenal. You bring him back? Oh, yeah. If my options, and I know everyone loves Willie Gay Jr., but if my options are bring back Willie Gay Jr. or Drew Tranquil, it's not even a competition. Bring back Drew. Yeah, I've said this before, but Willie Gay reminds me of Devin White. He makes these flashy plays and his athleticism is off the charts, but he's been a liability in pass coverage. Uh, So I I think Tranquil, especially if you can get him to come back relatively cheap, uh, you, you play him alongside Leo Chanel, who I think has improved, and Nick Bolton, who just keeps getting better. And that's a solid linebacking core. You don't want to spend too much money in that position. Yep, I'm with you. Next up, we have the Mitchell Schwartz Award. And that goes to the most consistent player. Mitchell Schwartz was a machine when he was healthy for the Chiefs before he was forced into retirement. Drum roll, please. Are you going to say it? Come on. I can't. Gosh, you're killing me, small. I thought you were going to stop. That's my bad. We'll get this right eventually, I swear. And the wacky goes to Joe Tooney. He's first among guards in PFF pass blocking grade and ESPN's pass block win rate. In fact, he's first among all offensive linemen in that metric. You don't notice the guy because, I mean, sometimes you do. But generally, his name isn't getting called because he's not getting penalties. He's not making mistakes. He's not getting beat, you know. No, Joe Tooney is he's an Iron Man. He he is the uh the nice terminator. Like he's awesome. Y- you never wanted to pay that much money for a guard, 
But this is the one time where it actually, I think, has worked out. Like, when he signed that contract, we're like, yeah, he's good, but can a guard really be worth that much money? The answer has been yes. He has been worth that much money. He has been phenomenal, again, with a rotation at left tackle, uh, even with Orlando Brown Jr. last year. This year, you've had a couple guys, a rookie with Juan e. Morris and the um, slightly below average play of Donovan Smith hasn't affected him. I, I have been thoroughly impressed with Joe Tooney, game in, game out. He what broke his hand last year and still went through it. This year is obviously a different season, and he's still putting up just ridiculous analytical numbers for a guard. I love Joe Tooney. Yeah, and any chance we get on this show to sing his praises, we do it because he's kind of a quiet, unassuming guy. He doesn't have, say, the flash of a Creed Humphrey. He doesn't have kind of the meanness of a Trey Smith. So he doesn't get as much much attention from the fan base, in my opinion. And uh, yeah. Before we get to the next award, a couple of quick things I want to hit on. I've seen a lot in the chat, so I feel like we should talk about it here. Uh, One, the Ravens are a great team. I know some folks are trying to say, yeah, well, the Ravens haven't done it in the playoffs. This is a different Ravens team. Again, it always come down comes down to, is Lamar healthy? So for this um, game we're playing, Lamar is healthy. It's the healthiest he's been in a long time. Lamar looks incredible. The offense looks incredible. I've been high on them all season long, even earlier on in the season when they were either losing close games, um, you know, they weren't putting up these incredible numbers. I go, you just wait. They're a sleeping giant. Well, that giant woke up. I am terrified of the Ravens. I think they're the best team in the NFL and the best team in the AFC, obviously. So um, that's where I'm at with the Ravens. Okay. They're, they're a great team. Yeah. We've been very high on them on this show. Uh, during the preseason, I, predi- I predicted them to win the AFC North. I said Lamar Jackson was probably the fourth best quarterback in the league. And no Greg Roman, right? You mentioned it yeah. earlier. An offensive coordinator that's installed an actually modern uh, passing game that lets Lamar fling it a little bit more. And again, I'm not saying the Chiefs can't beat the Ravens, but I would be dishonest and I'd be a homer if I didn't say right now I think the Ravens are the best team in the AFC now I'm seeing some guys talking about the Bills I know Ollie in here uh the resident Bills fan hey we're, we're opening we're welcome we we appreciate you in here and, and being re- respectful right I'm not seeing a whole bunch of call outs some nice back and forth with everyone the Bills right now are scary to me because they're peaking at the right time that's what it comes down to. The Bills' defense, I don't think, is very good. I don't. But they're finding ways to win games. Josh Allen, as much as I like to laugh and joke and say at times it looks like he drops Aston and goes out and plays football, he's the only guy that when he's playing at the highest level is close to being as good as Mahomes. Like, he's the only guy that, that, that can uh, put, it, put the, his team on his shoulders and at times find ways to get it done. Now, we got to see it more consistent in the playoffs, obviously. But the fact that they got James Cook more involved, they're more, they're less one dimensional and reliant on Allen, and, and they're more versatile. They're, 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 they have different ways to beat you. Now, the Bills have to make the playoffs first and foremost. They got to get a huge win week 18. They might be the second seed or they might be out. They have a very wide variance. Um, but if I were to say right now, I actually disagree with Aaron in this one uh, aspect here. I think the Bills, to me, are, are a more dangerous team than the Ravens. I, I, I trust Kansas City against than Miami. the Dolphins, right? Yeah, it's, sorry, than, 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 than the Dolphins. The Dolphins don't scare me. Sorry, they don't. 
I know they have Devon H and that stuff. Dolphins, to me, I think the Chiefs can take care of. The Bills, on the other hand, are a team. They're peaking at the right time, and that's why they, they make me at least a little nervous. Well, and it's also when do your injuries uh, occur? Because for the Bills, they happened early in the season. So their defense has had time to adapt and kind of normalize. For the Dolphins, they they lost Jalen Phillips somewhat recently, and then they just lost Xavier Howard, uh, Bradley Chubb, their star pass rusher. They're they're really falling apart at the at the worst time. And you mentioned it. The playoffs often come down to who's hot and who's healthy. And I don't think this year will be any different. So uh, the Bills do scare me. They yeah. definitely they definitely do. And uh, I most certainly do not want the Chiefs to go to Buffalo. That is like the worst case scenario. I mean, ideally they get knocked out of the playoffs because they lose. Jacksonville wins, the Steelers win, and they're gone and we don't have to worry about them. That would be, that'd be awesome because that would be a path where we played, say, the Texans in Arrowhead on wildcard weekend. Then we go down to Miami to play a banged up team we've already beaten. And Cleveland, who plays the Ravens tough generally, year in, year out, would play the Ravens and you never know. So that would be my ideal path to to a super bowl uh yeah joe flacco is he elite we're going back to 2012 conversations now huh he has nothing <laughs> he has nothing to lose that is a team and a quarterback with nothing to lose and one of the best defense in the league they, they are they don't seem it but they're they're pretty dangerous yeah i'm with and you. I, li- I like their weapons you know amari cooper is a little inconsistent but david and joko has been an animal for like the last six weeks or something the Former former early round pick that's finally tight ends take a while, right? He's finally blossoming. Yeah, he's um, quite frankly, ever since the the injury, he got those burns, right? Ever since then, he he has all of a sudden stepped up. It's it's like his his villain story, right? It's like or his hero story, whatever you want, whatever you want to call it. It's been it's been crazy. Yeah, it's like when Spider Man gets bit by the radioactive spider. What happened to him in that fire? Yeah, he, I mean, he, he, yeah, he caught fire. Like like it's crazy. And he showed up with that mask, that hockey mask, just looking like the scariest human on the planet. Yeah, he's he's been good. So fun little playoff discussion interlude. Let's get back to the award show. And the next award is the Hank Stram Award. <laughs> the wacky goes to Steve Spagnuolo. Spags. So Spags, what he has done this season is nothing short of remarkable. He's taken the youngest snap adjusted defense in the entire league and turned them into a unit that allows 17.6 points a game, third best in the league. Only Baltimore and San Francisco have been better. And really, they look like a top five or six unit by most metrics. And I think they're, they're an elite defense. Are they the best defense in the league? No, but they're way ahead of schedule. Dude, they're incredible. They're unreal. If the offense was any better and stopped turning the damn ball over, the defense would look even better by comparison. I mean, the defense, how many times have we said their back is against the wall and they're, they hold teams to field goals because the offense put them in a bad spot? Seriously, it, it, it's been absurd. This defense is elite. Spagnola deserves so much credit. I was always pissed off when people said the, the previous is fire spags. First off, he's a big game coordinator. 
He gets it done in big games. And now we are seeing it for a full season. And the same thing is happening. The defense is starting to peak at the right time. They've gotten better and better and better. And it's like a boxer. The first quarter, first half, they're figuring out their opponent. What happens second half? Lockdown. Nails. Spags deserves so much credit. I love what he's doing. A lot of times, first half, the defensive line isn't getting a ton of pressure. So what's he do? He finds ways to exploit them. Spagnola does not show you his hand in the first half. He might be bluffing, but secondhand, he knows what he has, and he going to get you. I love Spagnola, baby. Give this man his flowers, and I am totally with you. I don't want to ever hear the fire Spags chatter again. It, it's, to use a sterling word, it is asinine. And one thing that gives me a little bit of hope for a potential tilt with the Ravens is Lamar Jackson has never seen a bespoke Steve Spagnolo defensive game plan in the playoffs. Uh, Spags, you know, he'll have some aces up his sleeve for the Ravens if they meet. Better Always. believe that. Yeah. Next up is the Dante Hall Award. Of course, that's the special teamer of the year. And the wacky goes to Harrison Butker. Yeah, sorry, you kind of get tired of doing that. Yeah, we're 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 gonna we're gonna stop it. It's a lot. I have a kazoo right here, but the issue is, I did it earlier on a show, and believe it or not, my dog does not like the sound of kazoos, which is shocking to to any dog owner that they wouldn't just automatically love the sound of a kazoo. So maybe as we get off the show, I will do the kazoo. Yeah, you play the drums. I think you play the drums, don't you? Uh, I do. If that wasn't a dead giveaway over my my dome. Yeah, we could have an actual drum roll if we would have coordinated a little better. That's on. That's yeah, sick, on me. Text, sick text best. Appreciate that one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, he's just been an assassin this year. And I think Harrison Butker has proved that between last postseason and this season, the ankle messed him up a little bit. He hurt last year against the Arizona Cardinals opening day. It took him almost to the playoffs to be the same guy. And I think it, it messed with his, his approach, his technique, all of that. And once that happens, we're seeing this different position, but it's the same thing with Jawan Taylor. Once you get out of sync, that can really mess up your game. Yeah. I, I, you know, I do a weekly chat with Nick Lowry um, and we said the same thing last year. You know, a lot of it was physical, that was the issue. And then the physical side kind of creeped its way into the mental side. But again, this year has been back to the same old Harrison Butker. I mean, we've all agreed that it's been him and maybe Brandon Aubrey as the best two kickers in football this year, even better than Justin Tucker, at least as this season goes. And Butker has always been clutch in big time moments. That's huge. The moment's never too big for him. You know, we talked about earlier on that one miss against the Patriots, right? Um, the artificial field versus natural grass, how it's different for a kicker, how that can sometimes get in your head um, and how it just the, the plant leg can be a little different, how you saw him go to one knee a lot. Like I always said, Adrian Beltre in, in baseball, right? He used to drop to one knee a lot when he would swing. Well, well, Bear, Butker was doing it on, uh, in, uh, in Gillette on the, the artificial turf. So for him, I think if you want a little underlying storyline, best place for him to play is places that have natural grass versus artificial, just a little underlying storyline to, uh, to take a look at. But again, Butker has been so good. I'm with you, man. The Dante Hall award hats off to you. 
And Dante Hall is one of my top five all-time favorite Chiefs. So, uh, great award. The I next. Oh, you got something for us. It's a, it's a Dante Hall signed baseball. Uh, and you might be asking, why is it a Dante Hall signed baseball? Well, my mom was had a chance to meet Dante Hall at some event. It was some auction or something like that. And all she had on her was a baseball. Now, why was there a baseball in her purse? I do not know. That might be a better question. But she had that on him. And like Step Brothers, where all he had was a sword, you're not going to not get Randy Jackson's signature. So my mom, of course, hands Dante Hall a baseball and he signs it. So that that's unbelievable that you just pulled that because I was thinking the exact same thing. Yeah. Uh, not quite as random, but still pretty random to have the human joystick sign the ball of a different sport. Yeah. It says two Sterling D hall eight, two with an X in the middle for X factor. So I thought it was kind of cool. Very cool. Next up is the Eric Fisher award. And that goes to the most improved player. The wacky goes to George Karloftis. Double digit sacks, and he's top 20 in pressures among all defensive linemen, looking like a steal. I know what you're going to bring up. I know what you're going to do. Who told you? Who has been the, the George Karloftis fan club member numero, numero uno? This dude, even before he was drafted, I kept saying draft Karloftis. I don't think he has the upside of a Miles Garrett, but who does at that spot? Give me the known. I'm sometimes tired of always trying to get a guy with the highest potential. And again, he was a 21-year-old dude coming from Greece, still learning the game of football. He still had room to improve. But you knew what you are going to get, a guy who's going to be consistently around 8 to 12 sacks. He's solid against the run. He can do a little bit of everything, and he's got a, fin- a fantastic motor. I love Karloftis. So for me, this is just validation of everything I thought he could be, and even then some. I am all in on the Greek freak. The Chiefs are looking strong at edge. Charles Aminahue is really coming on. His athleticism is popping off the screen. Uh, and Mike Dana as well. What more can you say about that guy? We'll get to him here in a minute. But uh, yeah, tip my hat to you on George Karloftis. And you've got a good point. Are you going to take the sure thing and George Karloftis or burn the number one overall pick on someone like Trevon Walker, who isn't really even half the player Karloftis is right now. Yeah. Let alone the player Aiden Hutchinson is, but getting Karloftis at, at 29 when inferior players like not just Walker, but also Jermaine Johnson hasn't been as good as George Karloftis. So, and he, even, even until this season, it looked like Thibodeau wasn't as good. So George Karloftis has given them immediately immediate production on a rookie deal. And that's extremely valuable at edge. Yeah. Could not, Agree with you more. The Tamba Hali Award. This goes to the player with the best motor. And it wasn't easy. There are two guys in consideration for this. I'm worried one of them won't be around next year. So the wacky goes to Mike Dana, a former 177th pick. He's massively outplayed his draft status. And he just gives max effort every single down. I am shocked at his career arc. Shocked. Because when he was drafted in the fifth round, most sites had him as a seventh rounder or undrafted, a UDFA. And I'm sitting here going, 
why did the Chiefs spend a fifth rounder on a UDFA? I was wrong. Totally wrong on Mike Dana. And year after year, I, I always say he's the, the unsung hero of this Chiefs team. I, I have changed my tune dramatically on him. Over the past couple of seasons, everything that he does, it might not always show up. He might not be the quickest, fastest, tallest, biggest, whatever it is, but he finds ways to get it done and to, to, to produce. I, I, I am all in on Mike Dana. He puts his hands up, does a lot of the little things. You know, the Chiefs obviously knew more in the draft um, process than we do. And that's why they took him and why I am not a draft analyst. Because I'm an idiot and completely bo- just just would have butchered that one. In fairness to you, they get to talk to the kid. They they get a closer look than all of us do. And they must have seen something in his tape and meeting with him in person or, or asking about him that made him a perfect fit for this system, the SPAG system. He's very picky about the kinds of defensive ends he likes. Let's move on to the Jamal Charles Award. This goes to Offensive Player of the Year. No surprise here. The wacky goes to Patrick Mahomes. So the offense is 6th in DVOA over the course of the season and 10th in EPA, despite the highest wide receiver drop rate in a decade among any team. No team has had worse luck with drops. He's kept the offense. They've had some struggles, but he's kept it good enough for them to get in the playoffs. They're the three seed. I mean, they're not the one or two seed, but they're still in great position. I think you have to give it to him, especially when we've already given Rasheed Rice the Offensive Rookie of the Year. And I just think Travis Kelsey is having a bit of a down season. I think the only other name you could make a case for would be Joe Tooney. I think actually legitimately can make a case for Offensive Player of the Year as Joe Tooney, a guard. Um, And I would entertain... Isaiah Pacheco, I'd entertain it. But I, I think you're right. Grand scheme of things, Mahomes has still been the best player offensively, the most consistent player for the Chiefs. Um, I go back and forth because he's having a down year. And it's fair to criticize him for having a down year. Well, compared to whom? You know, like to himself, but but Dan but, Marino, you I, know. Of course like, I'm comparing to him and not Tyler Thigpen. Like that's why I compare this Chiefs team to the past. I don't know, six years of Chiefs football, the past eight years of Chiefs football. I'm not comparing them to, to 2012. Yeah. There, there's different there's different expectations here. So I think it's fair. Right? People, There's two sides of things. People that think Mahomes is, is, is horrendous this year, which I think is completely off base. I've seen a lot of that. And I've seen some people who think that he is uh, having one of his best years and, and it's all the receivers and the skin. I go, guys, can we have some nuance here? Mahomes is having a bad year for his standards. For his standards, this is a down year. He has still been a very, very good player, a great quarterback. But again, I'm comparing him to his standards, the Mahomesian standards. I am not comparing him to the Baker Mayfield standards. A large difference here. That's what it comes down to. Baker Mayfield catching strays. That's like... Sorry, but like... No, no, I get it. That's a habit for that guy, though. He seems to always get thrown under the bus. No, but Baker's having a good year. Baker's having a a nice year. Mahomes is still having a I mean, it helps to throw (laughs) to Mike Evans and and Rashad White and Chris Godwin. I mean, that doesn't – I'd like to see what Mahomes could do with with those weapons. Uh, Here's what I'll say about Mahomes. Literally, 
in three games, if the guy just catches one pass, they have three more wins. That would completely change their season. The other thing is, I really do believe he's been a better scrambler this season than at any point in his career. So you have to kind of remember that, especially when he's adjusting to to a struggling receiver core without Juju, with Travis slowing down, and to two new tackles. So you have to kind of consider, and also uh, Eric Bieniemy. Uh, they lost some. They lost a lot of continuity from last year. Yeah, but Matt Nagy's been around a long time too. He okay. has. So he has. I, I, again, it, it's a combination of things. I, I'm just somewhere in the middle of Mahomes is having a down year for his standards, while he is still absolutely incredible. And I think I'd say the same thing about Chris Jones, because a lot of people have said Chris Jones is struggling this year, which is just they're out of their mind. They're out of their mind. Now, is Chris Jones as good as he was last year? No, because that's nearly unsustainable Aaron Donald level play. But if you look at, uh, you know, pass rush win rate, pressures, PFF grade, he's still in the top three or four in almost every metric among defensive tackles. So to act like there's been this tremendous fall off, there hasn't. He just kind of regressed to the all pro player he's been for the majority of his career. Sure. And the difference is though, at least in my eyes, you want to get paid like Aaron Donald. I don't want to hear double teams as an excuse. That's what it comes down to for me, at least a little bit, at least a little bit. If you want to be the highest paid defensive tackle or second highest paid just underneath him, then you got to be him. And he's been great. He's been incredible, but he's not been prime Aaron Donald. And if you'll be paid like that, you better be that. I agree with you. I think he's lost some money this year because he's gotten older and this hasn't been as good of a season. The other thing I'll say about Chris is I hear a lot of, well, he, he doesn't do anything early in games. Well, the reason he always flashes late in games, Spags and him, they wait yeah. to, to kind of pull out, you know, if they have a matchup that they think they can exploit, they don't want to do that in the second quarter to the point where the other team makes an adjustment. They want to save that up their sleeve for crunch time. That's why you get so many sacks, I think, late in games. Maybe as many sacks over the past two years uh, in overtime and the fourth quarter as anybody in football. Yeah. Let's go to the Derek Thomas Award, and that is Defensive Player of the Year. We already know it's not Chris Jones. The wacky goes to Trent McDuffie. Now we I have hear people being angry right now. Keep in mind, <laughs> we have one more award left. We have one more award left. So I haven't forgotten about anybody here. The Chiefs defense, in my opinion, went from bad to great when he became a full-time player midway through last season because he had the, the ankle sprain early. The Chiefs took it kind of slowly with him. They slow played his, his recovery and his comeback. Ever since then, you can look at almost any metric you want. They've been re- remarkably better. And they were good last year. They were really hot in the playoffs, and they sustained that over the course of this entire season. He has been the kind of key ingredient to put them over the top. Yeah, and because we're going to give a different award to a different player, uh, we did not forget about certain player uh, that took him out of the running for this specific award. So yeah, Trim McDuffie has been great. Uh, again, he was a guy who I wouldn't say I was necessarily wrong on, but he's been better than I've expected. Now, I thought he would get burnt a little more. Not necessarily burnt as far as um, 
not knowing where to be or, or, or just consistently getting torched. Mossed. Mossed. I, I thought he was going to get mossed a lot more. That's not been the case. Um, I, I think at times we get, and myself included, we get so caught up in measurables that we think that's the end-all be-all. We think, oh, he's got short arms. Well, A.J. Brown's going to every single play go up and just gra- – it doesn't happen, right? It doesn't happen. Um, and so- he's going to do that to everybody. We saw that with with Traverius Ward, with Jamar Chase. I mean, there sometimes with those guys, there's just nothing you can do. They are going to get theirs. But uh, with McDuffie, man, I, I, I have been very impressed. He's been better than I thought he was going to be. He plays like a veteran. He plays very smart. He uses the sidelines to his advantage. Um, it, it's crazy. He's a second-year player who, in my opinion, plays like a, like a vet who's been in the NFL for five, six years. It's great to watch. Yeah, and I think one of the knocks on him coming out was that he didn't force interceptions and he didn't have the ball skills that you might want. That's not the way Spags plays. You see that the Chiefs don't don't force a lot of uh, turnovers, but they also don't risk. They're not these cor- their corners don't play that that risky Dallas Cowboys style where you're either taking it to the house or the other team's taking it to the house. They want to limit, like Aaron said, they want to limit explosive plays. And Trip McDuffie has been one of the key ingredients in doing that. The I other- always say it's the anti Marcus Peters. The Chiefs cornerbacks, they like guys who tackle, who stay in the hip pocket, who don't gamble. So you get less interceptions. That's why the Chiefs' turnover margin is negative this season by a decent margin, but why the defense as a whole has been way better than in years past. They don't gamble, and they tackle. They wrap up. They do the smart play, not the sexy play. Yeah, and hopefully Mahomes and the offense can clean that up so that turnover differential won't be a problem. The last award is the Lynn Dawson Award. That is the team MVP. And the wacky goes to Legereus Sneed, who really deserves this, has had a phenomenal season, especially the last 10 weeks or so. He's just been on an absolute tear. He's created what I would say an alpha receiver graveyard. Just, just listen to what he's done to some of the best in the game. A.J. Brown. One catch for eight yards. Devontae Adams in two games. The first one, five for 73. That's about as good as you're going to do against Legere Sneed. The second time, one catch, four yards. DJ Moore, three catches for 41 yards. Jamar Chase, three catches for 41 yards. Maybe stop talking. Justin Jefferson, three for 28. Uh, Stephon Diggs, four for 24. And Tyree Kill, eight for 62. No TDs on the season. I mean, what more can we say? Uh, I, I know we had this discussion with Aaron that it's a little risky to pay a corner big money. But this is one of the few corners in the league who travels with these star receivers and shadows them uh, and, and is just incredibly versatile. We used to think he was a slot a slot corner, and he's, transcend, he's transformed himself from maybe the best slot corner in the league to one of the best lockdown corners in the league, I think there can be more consistency with this player than some of the other ones. Yeah, man, he's been unreal. Um, Sorry, the Chiefs are not getting a deal anymore. I thought the Chiefs were able to say, hey, you play a lot of slot corner, which kind of hurts you when it comes to negotiations. Well, that is no longer the case. Jerry Sneed is going to get paid. 
he is going to get paid, which makes this a very difficult conversation. But guess what? We don't have to worry about that because this is 2023 slash 2024, which means he has been elite. He has been electric. He has been the Chiefs defensive and overall MVP. Legereus Sneed, I can't wait because he's going to help keep the Chiefs in all the playoff games they're in this season. He is going to be a massive reason why. He does everything, but because he is so good that he can go on an island and go one-on-one if need be, if need be, it allows Spags to send another guy on a blitz, whether that's McDuffie, whether that's Justin Reed, whether that's Drew Tranquil. The, uh, the electric and, and, and ability of, of Snead to go one-on-one allows Spags to use everyone else as a chess piece. He is the king. He is the queen. He is everything. He's Legereus Snead. Yeah, and you love to see when Jamar Chase, I think that was a shot directly at Legereus Snead, in my opinion, saying they have no Jalen Ramsey. When the Chiefs have had a corner he might not be Jalen Ramsey, but for the last eight or 10 weeks, he certainly played Jalen Ramsey-esque. So what did LeJarius Sneed do? He didn't back down. Even though he was injured, he was saying, there's no way in hell I'm not playing this game. There's no way in hell I'm not playing every snap. And there's no way in hell I'm not shutting down Jamar Chase, one of the, I don't know, at worst, five best receivers in the league, five most dynamic receivers in the league. There's just nothing more we can say about this guy. I'm thinking 20 million per ballpark. Maybe I know I, no, I'd say less. 18? I'd say more than the 18. I'd say okay. somewhere from 16 to 18 is probably what he's going to get. If I was a betting man right now, off the top of the dome, I'm saying 16 to 18. Just that position. Isn't that what JC Jackson made? I'm trying to I'm trying to figure out like Yeah, but JC yeah. Jackson won a lot of awards before then. What's going to hurt Snead is he's yet to win an all-pro, which he's going to get this year. If he does not get all-pro, I'm going to be shocked. I'm going to be pissed. I'm going to be angry. Well, he's on TV a lot, so I think that helps. Yeah. And after J.C. Jackson, there might be a little bit of a market correction because he was certainly overpaid. Uh, But also keep in mind that the salary cap is expected to spike. We'll probably go up. 32 million, something like that. So we shall see. But right now, we don't have to worry about it. We're going to have Legereus Sneed for the playoffs if we have to play against Michael Pittman, if we have to play against Diggs or Hill or the assortment of, of receivers the Ravens have, we're going to have this guy to shut them down. So I think he's going to be the perhaps the most important defensive cog for the Chiefs for the stretch run. Uh, that's all we've got, guys. Thank you so much to the chat. Big props as always. If you haven't subscribed yet, what are you doing? We're bringing you lots of great uh, content. Uh, Also, mash that like button. That really helps as well. And if you're an audio listener on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, please leave us a five-star review. That helps us reach more fans. We will be back next Wednesday at 4.30 p.m. Central right here on the Arrowhead Addict YouTube channel. Until then... Go Chiefs!
Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.